chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. I'll be reading from the NIV. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold for that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. One of the most important people in the last hundred years is Winston Churchill. Um, You're probably familiar with who he is. Much has been said about him. He was uh, one of those once-in-a-generation type of people. And, And while he was definitely an imperfect character, he seems to have been perfectly suited for just one task. In fact, he would have said, I was born for one thing. Uh, And that was to lead Great Britain through war and and, and to be the relentless encourager to never give up. Most historians believe that that the British would have surrendered to Germany in 1940 uh, if it wasn't for the determination and just sheer stubbornness of one man, Winston Churchill. Uh, During 1940, uh, Churchill gave some of the most important speeches in world history uh, and I want to share with you just this morning uh, two little parts of, of two speeches that he gave during that time. And, and the first is when he takes over as prime minister uh, in May of 1940. And he took over because his predecessor, uh, Chamberlain, had, had failed the nation. And, and, and things were in disarray and, and, and everyone is panicked. And so Churchill knew his first job was to come in uh, and, and calm the people. And he starts with a, with a, a great speech. And so here's just one part of that. I would say to the House, as I have said to those who have joined this government, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and of suffering. You ask, what is our policy? I can say it is to wage war by sea land and air, with all our might and with all the strength that God can give us to wage war against a monstrous tyranny, never surpassed in the dark, lamentable catalog of human crime. This is our policy. And you ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word. Victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory, however long and hard the road may be. For without victory, there is no survival. And so, it's an amazing 
place in history, and it's, it's, uh, it's amazing that the next speech I'm going to read for you is only about three weeks after that one. And, and if you know the story, they, they have to go and try to help France as France has been invaded by the Germans. And, and they go to France to fight, and it is just an absolute disaster. We, we would just say they were unprepared for the tactics and the strategies and, and some of the equipment. Um, and they were, refor- they were forced to retreat. And it was an absolute disaster. And, and, and you know that they, they retreated to the sea, and they're stuck. And the Germans are coming after them. And they're coming to wipe them out. And there are over 300,000 British soldiers that are just stuck um, at a place called Dunkirk. And you're familiar. There's great movies about that. There's great stories about that. An amazing thing. But they're almost wiped out and miraculously they escape. And so at the end of the Dunkirk uh, expedition, Churchill again addresses his people. and, And he says this on June 4th, 1940. He says, even though large tracts of Europe and many old and famous states have fallen or may fall into the grip of the Gestapo and all the odious apparatus of Nazi rule, we shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island. Whatever the cost may be, we shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. These words saved a nation. Some of the most important words ever spoken. And and Churchill led his people to dig deep and to prepare for a fight. And he he let them know that they had to rebound from from this failure and, and from the setback, and that they had to persevere to the end, that it wasn't over yet. And, and so while it is absolutely different than what the British were experiencing, I, I would suggest to you this morning that, that you and I take part in a battle every day. Uh, a, a battle against the world, against the flesh, and against the devil. And, and so our question maybe this morning is, how do we as Christians persevere when fear ensnares us, when, when the battle seems too hard, when, when defeat seems like it's all around us, that's our question for this morning. How do we persevere? Let's pray together for our time. Father, we come to you in this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for truth. We thank you for people like Nehemiah and what we can learn. God, would you, would you help us to hear this morning? Would you help our hearts to take in your truth and yours alone? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would turn to Nehemiah chapter 4, we're going to read verses 14 through 23. Starting in verse 14. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. 
And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. And I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, each kept his weapon at his right hand. So we are in week four of our study in Nehemiah. And, and just the quickest review ever, Nehemiah hears bad news about his home, the home of his grandparents, Jer- Jerusalem, and he cares, and he cares about Jerusalem. He has a heart for that. He begins to pray, and after four months of, of constant prayer, a window of hope is opened before the king, and, and Nehemiah has the faith to ask the king, and he is given permission to go and to rebuild the walls in the city. Nehemiah shows up to Jerusalem as an unknown guy, and he inspires the people, and he says, look, God is leading us. God has brought us to this place, and it's time. It's time to go. And he inspires them, and they begin the work together, and, and things are going well. Uh, and then Jordan taught us last week that, that uh, obstacles showed up. Um, and, and, and as individuals, as a church, we all face uh, obstacles to growing, things that are in our way, things that keep us from changing, from improving, uh, to following the leading that God has for us. And we saw these, these enemies try mockery first, and we saw the power just of words, just, just ridicule is enough sometimes to, to stop us. And then the threats of gossip about getting in trouble, and from there uh, it, it progressed, it kept getting, getting worse, and finally they said, hey, we just need to go attack these guys. And, and now the Jews are afraid that maybe they're going to be attacked by the, by the enemies of Jerusalem. And so we're in this pivotal moment. They've heard all this gossip. They've been hearing the threats of, of violence. And they're afraid. And there are, there are many who have become discouraged and want to quit. The, the fear and, and the adversity, they, they were true. They were real and they were great. And, and so, you know, Jordan showed us last week that Nehemiah comes to him and says, look, God didn't bring us to this to fail. He's brought us here. This is, this is his moment, and we need to trust him. We need, we need to have faith. He encouraged them. And we keep our eyes focused on a God who is trustworthy. Don't focus on the enemy. Focus on our God who is trustworthy. And so just like Churchill did with the British, Nehemiah keeps the people from quitting. He encourages them. He just says, we are not done here. We're not going to quit. We're going to keep going. And so we see by, by Nehemiah's words and by his actions, just like Churchill, he's able to, to propel his people forward. And so this week, we, we're going to see the work go on. Uh, we're going to see the work go on in our passage today. The, the work's going to continue. They've, they've, they've encountered this opposition. They've gone through this discouragement. And now it's time to move forward. And, and so I, I want to spend a few minutes just talking this morning uh, uh, about the things that we see from Nehemiah 
what he did and then, and then f- from the people as well and, and how they were able to persevere. So just a couple of things that I think will help us. The first thing I want to note from our passage is that easy is never promised. Easy is never promised. Notice that every time Nehemiah talks to his people, he says something about working hard. He, he never says, hey, this is going to be the, the quickest, easiest thing of all time. This is great. Just, let's just walk in and take it. Easy is never promised. And, and so let me tell you why I think this is important. Our, our sinful human natures desire easy. If we're honest about ourselves, we desire easy. We desire the comfortable thing we don't have to work very hard to do. And, 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 and more often than not, that's the thing that we choose. What's the easiest thing? And, and not only do we desire easy, I think deep down we expect it. That's our expectation. And so it's, it's been my experience that, that when, when we are trying to make a change, when we're, when we're, we're you know, trying to grow and we're trying to move forward, trying to accomplish good things, the first and biggest obstacle is simply overcoming our expectation for easy. That's the first and biggest obstacle, I think, that we encounter. The most natural thing for us to do is to stop when something gets hard. We quit because there just is simply resistance. It's, it's our natural behavior. It's what we're prone to do. Uh, I was, I, I've been reading about New Year's resolutions, and, and I was fascinated to learn. We've talked a little bit about this in the last few weeks, but only 9% of people keep a resolution. 9%. 25% of people quit in the very first week. So January 1st to the 7th, 25% of people are already done. That's it. They don't make it the, the first week. 65% of people don't make it through the first month. Uh, researchers have named the second Friday of January as Quitter's Day. Quit, Quitter's Day. Because by that time, by the second Friday of January, more than half of people have quit their New New Year's resolutions. And and what researchers are saying is that uh, the reason for this is is most have just not counted the cost and have not prepared well and committed to what is required for a big change. So it's easy to say, hey, I'm going to stop smoking. It's easy to say it, and it's easy to get excited about that. But counting the cost, preparing for what it's going to take to actually do that, most people aren't ready for it when they make that resolution. Essentially, they thought it was going to be easy, and then they got discouraged when it got hard. And you and I do that every day with all kinds of things. And, and in the same way, I, I, I would say that you know, most Christians are like me, spend way too much time being surprised that things are hard. I spend way too much time in the, why me? Boy, it sure isn't fair for me. Oh, poor me. Why is this happening to me? We spend way too much time in that area of our lives when these things show up. And and I know that we all want the specific why, right? We all want a specific why. Why was this so hard? Why did I have to go through this? Why did this happen to me? But chances are it's not ever going to come. There's a generic why, um, and, 
And, and I think we have to live with that one, right? And the generic why is simply, we live in a sinful world where things are hard. And that's not, that's not like the best news you've ever heard. I, pro- I get it. But, but that's the why. Why is it so hard to, make, to do the right thing? Why is it so hard to, to be good, to, to improve, to grow? Because we live in a sinful world where bad things happen and things are difficult. That's the promise of Genesis 3. It's going to be hard. The work's going to be hard. It's never going to be easy. And so we have to stop getting stuck in this mentality, and we have to be prepared. I know this is going to be a hard thing, but it's worth it. I want to do it. I know it's going to be hard. That's the mentality we have to have. And I I love our passage from from earlier in in Philippians 3, and and hearing Paul, you get to kind of get a feel for who he is. And, and, And if you know that passage, he's talking about, I've given up everything. I lost everything. Everything that I had, I used to be a man of reputation, and it's gone. I'm not that anymore. And I've lost all of it for Christ. It's all gone because, because I've pursued Jesus. And so he says, look, th- for my life, the rest of it moving forward, it's going to be about sharing in Christ's suffering. It's going to be about sharing in his death. And hopefully, sharing in his resurrection. And so I would say, despite what many prosperity preachers would tell you, would want you to believe, the Christian life is full of pain, and it's meant to be difficult. And again, this is not like the good news that's coming for this morning. It's, it's coming, but this is just where we have to start. It's meant to be difficult. Christ told his best friends, the world is going to hate you. Because of me, the world is going to hate you. It's going to be hard. Being a believer is not an easy thing. And so just hear this this morning as, as a part of this, and that is God can be good and things still be hard. God can be good and things still be hard. God can be in control and things still hurt. God can be in control of all of this and things still hurt us. And so I think the, the, the quicker we can get past that first obstacle, the better. Stop expecting easy and be prepared for hard work. Okay, second thing that I think Nehemiah and his people persevere is that we have to recognize that we have an enemy. And, and, and I mentioned earlier the terrible three, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. And you can think of them as just kind of one thing as an enemy or as individuals, but, but that's what we fight against every single day. They're, they're working against us when we want to do anything good, when we want to do anything of God. Those three are working against us, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is in rebellion to the things of God. And, and our flesh is sinful, and it, it resists good. It's selfish. It wants to do what it wants to do. We are sinners by nature. That's how we are. That's how we were born. And then the devil wants to help us stay that way, to stay in sin, and to stay in rebellion. So recognizing that we have an enemy is, is so important. Why? Because when we know that there's an enemy, we have our defenses up. We are ready for an attack when we know that somebody's coming to attack us. And we see, we see this in our passage. When, when the Jews figure out, hey, there are people hiding behind the walls ready to, to snatch us when we're not looking, ready to kill us at any moment of time, they got ready, right? And, and Nehemiah says, hey, we've got to fix this right away. And he puts half of his workers just as an army. He says, you guys aren't even going to work anymore. You're only going to be as a defense. And the other half of you keep working, but you have your weapons ready all times. 
We're always ready to go. Too often, you and I walk around unprepared. Oblivious that our enemy is trying to keep us from thriving in our faith. Our enemy wants us in chaos. He wants our lives in chaos. He, he wants this church to fail. He doesn't want you to have a godly, loving marriage. He doesn't want you to make healthy decisions. If the enemy had his way, he would see Kishwaukee Church bogged down in apathy and division and gossip and, and all this stuff. That's what he would choose for us. That's the way he would lead us if we didn't fight him. We must recognize that we have an enemy. And then what? Once we know we have an enemy, then what? Hear the words of Ephesians chapter 6. This is Paul speaking. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and, flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. That's how we get prepared for an enemy who wants to see us fail, who wants to defeat us. Read Ephesians 6 and be prepared. We are at war and so because of this, we must be aware of the enemy. And we must prepare spiritually every day for what is to come. Okay, so the third thing that I see in our passage that helped Nehemiah, uh, it, it, I think you and I have to live out as well, is this. Nehemiah had a healthy balance of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And, and I'll just start by saying there's a, a ton of mystery in this. Um, I spent a lot of time in my life trying to figure out how all that works, okay? The, the mystery of how God is sovereign over everything and, and we're responsible too, it's, it's a mystery. And, and I'll just say we're not going to solve it this morning. So, so if, that was, if you're hoping for that, I, I'm disappointing you. But um, I will say this. It is clear from Scripture that God is in control. He is absolutely sovereign over all the events of this world. But it is also clear from Scripture that God calls us to act, that we have a responsibility to do what is right. God has the ability and the power to do everything and anything that He wants. He doesn't need us. Yet, He calls us as His image bearers, as, as His people, to live our lives for Him, to, to be about His business, to work and serve His kingdom. And, and there are these stories in, in Scripture where, where God shows up and does all the work, and there are these miraculous stories, right? I think of, 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 of the story of like when, when God blinds the army in front of Elisha so that they can't attack him, or, or when um, 
Assyria is about to attack uh, Jerusalem, and, and uh, an angel just shows up in the middle of the night and kills them. And, the, and the, the whole army of Assyria is just gone overnight without the Israelites fighting, without picking up a sword. That happens. But more often than not, God calls us to action. God calls us into action. And, and so I love that in our passage, Nehemiah understands this. He knows that God's in control. He said it over and over as we've seen already through this story. He keeps saying, this was the hand of God. God did it. God got, made this happen. He opened this door. He, he made the way. He trusts in God's help and deliverance. His, his faith is firmly planted there. He prays first before he goes about anything. He prays first. That's his always first reaction. And then what? And then he grabs a sword. That, then he grabs the sword. Spurgeon called it the sword and the trowel. Right? We're, we're supposed to be about the sword and the trowel. The, the work and the defense. Be about both. He is ready. Nehemiah goes to work. Uh, Oliver Cromwell is one of the most famous and important figures uh, in British history. We're, we're spending a lot of time on the, the British today. I don't know. But, uh, he was a politician, and he was really well known also as a, as a general. And in 1642, they're, they're in the middle uh, of, a, of, a, of a, a big war, and um, in right at the start of a major battle, Cromwell um, is with his troops, and, and, he, and he says this, and it's a, it's a famous saying that has stayed around. He said, put your trust in the Lord, but keep your powder dry. Put your trust in the Lord, but keep your powder dry. What does that mean? I want you to think about that for a second. He's talking about gunpowder, by the way, right? Put your trust in the Lord, but keep your gunpowder dry. See, Cromwell is acknowledging God is in control. This battle belongs to him. But we're a part of it. We're, we're going to be fighting it. We're a part of this. It's not just him doing all the work. He's called us to be here. We should put our trust in him, but keeping our powder dry means being ready. Being ready. You can't fight if your gunpowder is wet. So it's not about being passive on the sidelines, right? You can trust in God and still say, but I'm his instrument that he's called me to be a, be a part of this. Have our powder ready to jump into the fight. Life is hard, and making any worthwhile change is hard. Being a God-honoring, kingdom-minded church is difficult. And we must know that. We must expect that it's going to be that way. But we have to commit to doing hard things and not quitting when it gets hard. And we have to know that there's an enemy out who doesn't want to see us succeed who doesn't want to see our church thrive. We have to put on the armor of God to be ready for any attack. And we know that the Lord is in control and, and that he has called us to do our part in persevering through adversity so that we can pursue righteousness and accomplish good change. Trust the Lord, but keep your powder dry. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge you as Lord of all. You are in charge of all things. So we trust you. But it's hard to trust when life is so hard. 
And Father, we, we know that on our own strength and our own efforts, we can achieve nothing and we'll only fail. It is only through your power, your might, the work of your spirit that we can do anything. So God, help us to look to you for encouragement when things are hard. Help us to see the enemy around us that we would be prepared. Father, help us to trust if we keep our eyes on you, we don't have to worry so much about the enemy. Help us to be willing to jump in, to do our part, knowing that you've called us to the work. We love you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.